I'm Dan. And I'm Alex. And welcome back to the On Air podcast. Dan, the good thing about this kind of weekly arrangement is that we no longer need to speak in between and have these <laughs> catch up phone calls. So Ooh. I genuinely have no idea where you are. Yeah. Where are you? This week, there is no chance we would have had time to catch up because we've both been pretty busy. I just landed in Japan last night from Thailand. So it's been it's been super crazy. I'm in Tokyo. We should just put context here that this is the most travel intensive week we've had in terms of trying to figure out the schedule, which also means there could be crazy sounds in the background while we try to work this out. Alex, you have like an insane echo, I think. I know. So, I mean, look, the thing about the fact that we are moving around constantly and of course committed to the arrangement and to the podcast that we now love and have started to build is that we do ask for your understanding if there is any difference in background noise maybe the odd slight interruption a little bit of echo i think on the whole it's nothing you're going to notice but i'll give you some context now i am sat in a 50 seat <laughs> dining room uh, in a private suite in a hotel because they said that this was the quietest kind of close space that I can uh, that I can have there is a bit of an echo but we're just going to, to run with it <laughs> that sounds really uncomfortable to, <laughs> to be sitting in that room by yourself it looks like oh, it looks like I'm chairing a board meeting and none of my board members have turned up <laughs> I, I don't oh, know what God. that's symbolic of okay so Dan you are in Japan having flown there from Thailand last night or today yeah, yesterday, landed last night. We talk about this stuff a lot on our calls, how we love cultures that are so orderly and just feel so functioning, at least on the surface, you know? It's just so, oh, it's so satisfying. So like an example, yesterday when we were flying, there was a five minute delay in boarding, right? So mm -hmm. in the lounge, they come on the speaker. This is the airline's own lounge. They go, ladies and gentlemen, we want to extend our sincere apologies for the inconvenience. Boarding will be delayed by five minutes. We sincerely apologize once again. <laughs> it's like in other parts oh of the world, you'll be delayed for an hour and they won't say a word, you know? There's no mention of it, yeah. And What's the goodness. Japan part of this trip, the planned part, or is this something that you decided once the you were in Thailand? <laughs> This, we booked this three days ago. So okay. <laughs> insanely last minute. Yeah. That's why I didn't tell you I was going to Japan. I'm just like, hi. It's okay. We, we, we find out these things on the podcast now in the episode. See, <laughs> listeners, I'm, I'm just like you. <laughs> We're all in one boat here. <laughs> have you heard that song, Hawk Girls, We Have Problems Too? We're just like you. I mean, it's, it's very old, but do you know it? I don't. I don't think so. And also, I don't know if I want to oh ever gosh. hear you sing that again. So, but <laughs> so if, if, it's, if, it, if, you know if it means that you don't repeat it, if I just pretend that I know it and say, yes, yes, I've heard it, then sure, I've heard it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm never going to sing that song again, but if you know, you know. <laughs> One thing I wanted to talk to you about, because in Thailand, we love trying a new hotel every time we're in Bangkok. So I know you are a sort of luxury hotel connoisseur and fanatic, right? I do like the five-star world of hotels. And, and also there is a, a bit of a clause to this is that I'm, I feel like I, I know a lot about what's happening in the luxury hospitality scene because it's an industry that my sister worked in for a long time. So yeah, 
Go on. Demi appears again. I feel like you are not happy unless your initials are embroidered on the pillow. I really, <laughs> I really feel like I struggle to see the value of super luxury hotels. So we stayed at the Waldorf Astoria this time. I think we've stayed at like 15 different hotels in Bangkok now to try to find the best one. And even though the Waldorf Astoria there is quote unquote only about $300 a night, I just mm. feel like what do I get extra that's so amazing over like a $100 a night basic Marriott? And and the thing to mention is that a basic Marriott in Thailand is not like a one in the US where it looks like people shoot up cocaine in the shootout. They don't shoot up cocaine. Just shows how little I know about drugs. Like they do drugs in the hallway or something. Those hotels are beautiful in Thailand and it's like a hundred dollars a night. You know, what do you get? What is your feeling about what is so much more worth it about a Uber luxury versus, you know, a pretty nice hotel? No, I think you have to be sensible about it with anything. I think there are there are hotels that are ridiculous ridiculously priced based purely on the name or the fact that they belong to a group and it's marketed as the luxury variant of that hotel group. So I don't think that there is any sense of consistency there. I think you just have to, like anything, take it property by property and figure out why certain hotels are superior than, than others and also how that correlates to price. I mean, at the end of the day, it's always going to come down to price and value for money. And I think yeah. there are a lot of hotels, as you correctly said, that you can have an amazing time and that are beautiful and stunning and have the amenities you need and have an amazing pool and beach if that's what you're going for or, or other, other different services and be excellent value for money. At the same time, you can stay in a hotel that is, like you said, something like a Waldorf Astoria. And it's like, when you look at it, how is that completely different to the Sheraton Frankfurt Airport? Or something like that, you know. And, uh, yeah, and it okay. is, so that, it is to... completely different to the Sheraton. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I think I just, person. yeah, I'm trying to be nice to Frankfurt Airport because I'm conscious that I, I had you know, been a bit too honest about them in recent episodes. But no, no, as you yeah. say, there's no, there's no consistency in these categories at all. Exactly. I mean, I should say there are plenty of good hotels close to Frankfurt Airport. Sheraton True. is very, <laughs> Sheraton is very convenient, but it's Have you stayed at that Sheraton in the Frankfurt Airport? I stay there. That's my like go-to transit hotel, so I do stay there, but it's That's it's my EU that, that's my EU 261 hotel. That's the hotel when the last <laughs> flight has been cancelled and we all end up having oh, to stay overnight and it's always the Sheraton Frankfurt Airport. It's always the the receipt I have to put in to get the European compensation back for the cancelled flight. <laughs> It's like, not so happy to see you again. But yeah. I, I don't even think you understand what I'm saying about these U.S. hotels because you've likely never stayed at one where, as I said, in many parts of the world, they're, they're building new hotels. So the basic sort of mid-range Marriott or Hilton uh -huh. is is nice. But in the U.S., many of these hotels are like 40, 50 years old. So from the outside, they look horrible. From the inside, yeah. you don't want to walk barefoot. That's that's one thing to, to Oh, say. my God. Speaking, I mean, carpet in hotel rooms, but specifically in <laughs> old hotel rooms. I will, I will line the walkway from the bed to the bathroom and the door <laughs> with floor towels because of that yeah. very reason. If it's an old hotel with thick carpet that has accumulated oh, 50, 60 years worth, I... I I can't. Oh, God. <laughs> I, can't. I just feel nauseous thinking about it. I think it's so important when, it's, you know, no matter how much you are spending, be it 80 euros or 800 euros, 
please, the first priority needs to be hygiene. How do you, how do you always somehow start bringing up and leading me down this route to show that I'm OCD <laughs> at the beginning of yeah. every episode? If it's not a buffet, if it's not about water, now it's about hotel. Room. You're trying to dig up every trauma. I know what you're doing, Dan. This is therapy for you, not for me. So don't even try it. <laughs> I'm the one who goes to therapy after our recordings. So <laughs> it's, it's double layers. You just sent me a wonderful video earlier of you dancing. It was, you know, I, I suck at dancing. I was actually surprised. To okay, see I did not, not know. I did not know we were bringing that up on the podcast. That was sent to you in confidence. That was, to, to put it into some context. Yeah. No, I was not. Okay, we were dancing. We were doing, you know, candy. You probably don't even know it because you were born like five know. minutes ago. Do you know the candy dance like from the eighties? <laughs> no. Anyway, yeah. we were all doing YouTube. It. You're a YouTuber. We were all doing the candy dance at the after party of the Formula One because this last weekend, this long weekend in Doha, has been the Qatar Grand Prix for the F1. And so, I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with F1, but it moves around the world each weekend yeah. or almost every weekend. Really? This, I know nothing yeah. about it. So I'm always oh like, why God. is there F1 in every city I go to? <laughs> like, how is this always here? No, the F1 is amazing. And like, you know, motorsport and all of that. And I love all of it because I guess the context to this is, is that my father in to motorsport is like what I am to aviation. I mean, he eats, sleeps, mm. lives, breathes cars, always has done since a kid. And so there's a kind of a bit of a similarity there. So um, we were at the uh, F1 over the long weekend, which was amazing. I mean, F you don't even have to like F1. Dan, if you were here this weekend in, in Doha just now, you would have loved it 100%. Mm. And as then long as I don't we have to were... dance with you because I look like <laughs> I, I am the whitest dancer that has ever <laughs> walked this earth. <laughs> What's funny was while we were while we were at this kind of after party concert and we were all dancing and having a good time, this guy came up to the bottom. We were on kind of like a raised platform. This guy came to the bottom and he was like, Alex, he was like, I'm Dimitris. I listen every Wednesday to the podcast. No. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I said to him, I'm going to shout you out on the podcast. So there we go. This is the shout out to Dimitris, who said he's from Greece wow. and Cyprus. So thanks, Dimitris. Thanks for saying hi. And for also, well, yeah, keep it hush hush about the, you know, the whole dancing thing. <laughs> he did better than me. So <laughs> yeah. this week we have, I mean, you cannot imagine my frustration and panic when we get off our recording last week, a few hours later, it's like, KLM, Air France, KLM, buying 20% stake in SAS. I was like, what? The plot <laughs> twist. Insane. So we need to move on to the news because I've been waiting exactly seven days to talk about this. Here we go. Let's start with the hot topics of the aviation sector. So SAS, this is Scandinavian Airlines, have been in financial difficulty for quite some time now. And they are a prominent carrier with a, a very long history. And of course, some strong links there with Dan, given that Dan is half Swedish. The financial struggles that SAS has had to endure over recent, not just months, but over recent years, years a long entirely time, yeah. separate, yeah, and, and separate to the pandemic. This was pre-pandemic. And this is often the case with some older legacy carriers that lose their way a bit and have to have some sort of either restructuring or they have to ultimately reimagine how the airline is going to survive in the modern world. And it's not always successful. And so we finished recording the podcast last week. And as Dan mentioned, 
bam, we get the news flash. Air France, KLM. And of course, Air France, KLM, they are essentially a European aviation group, a combination of those two large airlines, Air France and KLM, the national airline of the Netherlands. They will be taking a 19.9% stake in Scandinavian airline SAS. And this is part of a package with two other investors. And what the airline group, Air France, KLM, says is that they think that this deal will now strengthen its position, not just across the Scandinavian market, but what we are seeing in front of us is further European airline consolidation. Oh, that was our closing topic last week, which made it even more like, how is this happening? And the crazy thing is that it was so out of nowhere, right? It was like, yeah. who, who foresaw of all airlines Air France KLM investing in SAS, it was a complete plot twist. Now, of course, the other major news with that uh, is that SAS is one of the founding airlines of one of the largest alliance groups in the world, Star Alliance. And I'm sure many of the listeners will be familiar with Star Alliance. It is an alliance of a whole load of airlines. Oh, it's an alliance, is it? Star oh, uh, Alliance okay. is an alliance. Shady, shady. Um, give me an alternative word. Goodness, I'm mid-flow. So it's, it is an alliance of, of a whole bunch of airlines that basically leaves a level of consistency, whether you are flying Lufthansa or Thai or any other star carrier in terms of frequent flyer benefits, lounge access, mileage, and so on and so on. The big news is that for the first time ever, a founder member airline of Star Alliance and a very prominent member until today of Star Alliance, SAS, will now have to leave the alliance because of this investment from Air France KLM, who belong to another alliance, Sky Team. And that is what has also sent shockwaves across the industry because if you are a gold member because of SAS, well, things are about to bye change. Bye, Lufthansa. Yeah, this exactly. is this is what's really the big news. Okay, there, there was another piece of news that was pretty significant about they're actually being delisted from the Swedish stock market, which has huge implications for those who own SAS stocks. That's probably not relevant to most of you listening, but I have never received so many messages understandably about a news topic until this week and people are asking what does this mean for the future of airlines in europe what does this mean for the future of where sas will fly what will happen to their hubs because sas is quite unique in the sense that it has three hubs three main hubs in three different countries there's not many airlines you can say that for so denmark copenhagen stockholm sweden and oslo norway are three pretty big hubs for this airline and of course, now this changes how every European airline, not as much the One World Airlines, but definitely the Star Alliance and the Sky Team Airlines have access to Scandinavia and how Scandinavian travelers have access to the world. There's a few things that go into this, right? When SAS is bought by Air France, that means that suddenly Air France KLM, it's like Monopoly. They bought a huge chunk of the world from another alliance everything changes for Lufthansa Group. They were totally taken by surprise by this. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall that day when this announcement came through in Lufthansa Group HQ? So I spoke to a couple of execs in the Lufthansa Group, but not at Lufthansa Mainline. And to say that the airline were caught off guard when this had happened would be an understatement because of course consolidation is what these big airline groups are driving towards and not just that they are 
actively all becoming, you know, ultimately one airline, as we spoke about last week, that that reduces competitions for passengers, but they pretend that that isn't the case. But the bit that I wanted to ask you, Dan, given that you have grown up on these planes, you have grown up flying SAS, SAS is arguably one of the reasons as to why you are so passionate about aviation and we are sitting on this podcast today. I want to know, do you like the fact that this has happened? Is this good news? Are you not sure? Is this about to unearth another childhood trauma? In which case we'll do another episode tomorrow and we can discuss yeah. <laughs> it fully in a therapeutic way. Tell me. This is so exciting to me because no, no shade to SAS, but ultimately very much shade that they are truthfully, and I think a lot of people see this, one of the most boring airlines in Europe in terms of no specific <laughs> brand, no individuality, no niche. And the fact that even though they were a founding member of Star Alliance, they were never included in the closest transatlantic partnerships between Lufthansa Group and United. These transatlantic joint ventures are a huge deal for all three alliances because basically they coordinate their schedules, they share revenue. It's like being one big airline in that market. SAS, although they're heavily reliant on Lufthansa and Lufthansa Group, were never part of that. So they were flying across the Atlantic competing against Lufthansa Group, which of course hurts their bottom line since they don't have, yeah. you know, as big a group to work with. So to me, this is exciting that now we, of course, we don't know that they'll be part of the Air France KLM joint venture. It's probable, in my opinion. Because, and you know it's the joint yeah. venture. It's the joint venture that makes the money. The code yeah. shares do not make money to, in anywhere near the extent that a joint venture would. And that's why, as you say, this is something to now keep an eye on because Air France KLM haven't picked up to swoop in and take a stake in SAS for fun. You know, they are seeing no. a clear end goal here that equates to increased revenue in a European aviation landscape that is highly competitive basically between three airline groups only and that's it yeah. you know and and, and, why, and that's the direction we're trending towards yeah and why this is such a big plot twist is that for at least a decade probably more the constant talk in the nordics has been that lufthansa group is going to come in and buy sas sas has been struggling for a long time they haven't had a very high value so everyone was expecting that to happen eventually this brings us to a wider discussion of what is the function of alliances, because people don't really realize that alliances really determine where airlines choose to fly and where they choose to utilize their planes. So, of course, the implications for SAS are are the biggest part of this is that people will now be connecting flights to go somewhere through Scandinavia as well, potentially, since Air France KLM will now have a close partner there. So then you think, OK, where will they be connecting to? That comes yeah. a lot into SAS strategy, that SAS currently has a bit of a scattered network to Asia. They fly to Tokyo and Shanghai and Bangkok starting ar around now. Then in the US, maybe more significantly, they fly to Newark, to Chicago, to Washington, Dulles, to San Francisco. They also fly to Miami and LA. I think those will stay, but it's very interesting to look at all these U.S. cities, all the airports they fly to are United hubs. So what mm. happens once they stop being partners with United and they're not in the Star Alliance? That changes the airports. They'll fly to a New York, of course. 
hopefully they'll get slots to move to JFK. They'll increase capacity to Boston, I'm sure. We might see flights to Atlanta. And what people don't realize is that this doesn't only affect the airlines that that are mainly involved here, the well, the three airlines in this case, but it involves every airline in both these alliances, Singapore Airlines, Thai Airways, Air Canada is another one. I was trying to think which airlines have quite a strong presence in Copenhagen because all these airlines, Thai flies daily to Copenhagen and Stockholm. Singapore Airlines flies, I'm not sure if it's daily, but often to Copenhagen. And Air Canada has just expanded it, or they had just expanded their partnership with SAS as well. So what happens now? Well, presumably some of these routes will have to be cut. Yeah, and I was just going to jump in and say, and to explain it clearly, as you you just literally touched on, the reason why many airlines were there in the first place is because they have SAS as a partner, which of course now they no longer will have because SAS is essentially jumping out of bed, out of one bed and jumping into bed with other airlines. (laughs) And that is how it works in aviation. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to see which other airlines launch flights to Scandinavia in the coming years, airlines all over the world will be changing their routes, meaning many have new aircraft available. So where do they send those? It has such a knockoff effect. And speaking of knockoff effects, we often talk about the knockoff effect of conflicts on the routes airlines can serve. And just this week, we have another conflict that is ignited again, let's see. Yeah, of course. So ultimately, leading international airlines everywhere are having to adjust, reroute and suspend or reduce flights to Israel's capital, Tel Aviv. And of course, this is amid the flare up and the in the tensions and the conflict with Hamas and the escalating attacks on Gaza. About half of all scheduled flights at the airport haven't been operating over the last few days. Cancellations are continuing and there are a whole bunch of airlines affected. American Airlines, Air Canada, Air France, Delta, Emirates, Finnair, KLM, Lufthansa, Norwegian, Ryanair, United, EasyJet and BA. They are all having to take these decisions and make these cuts to their schedules as a result of what is happening across this area of the region. Yeah, the the tragic conflict that continues. So at least one potential positive for aviation here is that compared to Niger, we were talking about a few weeks ago, the airspace of this area isn't as massive and isn't as heavily used since many airlines avoid it on many routes anyway. In terms of international flights flying around there, the implications aren't enormous, but it's fascinating to see which airlines are continuing to operate despite the ongoing bombings on both sides and which have decided to suspend. And it is because, for example, British Airways, I would also associate as the ones to to withdraw and pull out at the first sign of any kind of flare-up or instability anywhere globally. But they have said that they are planning to continue operating flights over the coming days, but with adjusted departure times. Again, they're working closely with security authorities, and it is a case of, you know, as and when they receive info, they're constantly reacting on on that new data, on new information, on new intelligence, in order to make these these key decisions. Because air travel as a whole is absolutely inherently exposed to everything that happens everywhere on earth and that continues to be the case are these flights 
they're only allowed to depart during or they only want to depart during daylight. Is that it? So a lot of it is to do with that. So for example, Russia, which of course um, hasn't any air travel activity with Europe because of the situation in Ukraine. Russia has banned night flights to Israel and regulators, including the FAA in Europe and EASA, the European uh, Aviation Safety Agency, have urged airlines to exercise similar caution and those kind of directives and those that background guidance suggests that it's perhaps much safer to be operating during the daylight hours rather than at night. And so many airlines are taking uh, this decision. This is why British Airways' statement said that they'll be adjusting their times. Some airlines have said, we just cannot. It's too complicated. There are uh, too many escalations. It is absolutely unclear as to what direction this is heading towards, whether or not it's going to be, you know, we're going to be looking at a calm a few weeks ahead or, God forbid, worse. And so some airlines for them, the, the, the risk is perceived to be too high and they simply withdraw. And of course, that then has the impact on, on passengers. I'm, I'm checking here which flights are actually operating at night. We see, it's very interesting, there's a pretty clear regional divide. We have every Middle Eastern airline continues to operate at night, including, of course, every Israeli airline. And I don't know if everyone is aware of this. To me, it's absolutely fascinating that these days, every single Israeli aircraft, that's El Al, Arkia, Israel, <laughs> I can never pronounce that. Is rare? Mm -hmm. <laughs> ISR air. Anyway, they all have anti-missile flares installed on the aircraft, which this is an exclusive in the aviation industry. Only these airlines have them. And basically, they have a 360 degree antenna that is constantly scanning around the aircraft for a missile. If one is detected, it immediately releases invisible flares that the eye cannot see, but they're released and the missiles actually get confused. It's interesting because it's similar technology that is offered to the likes of the president with Air Force One and so on. And, and there are other state aircraft that possess that similar technology. And of course, with everything, when you're ordering an aircraft, it is an option. There is so much, actually, that airlines can choose to have, that governments and states can choose to have on their state aircraft and so on. But of course, with this escalation and with what is happening right now, the loss of life here is just awful. I mean, you know how intertwined I am into the news cycle, given that it is what I do. And, you know, it's just one awful development after the next. And we can only hope for more peaceful days ahead for the region. So one thing I want to ask you, Alex, when I was flying to Thailand, I forgot to ask you this last week. What is it? I know you do this. That's why I'm asking. What is it with people sleeping an entire daytime flight? Like, let's say these flights from the Middle East to Asia, they land, they take off around 8, 9 a.m. They land at like 6 p.m. So you're going to bed in four or five hours what is it with people sleeping the entire five, six hour flight or wherever you're going? How does that work? How is that logical? Okay, so firstly, I will ask, was the sleeping encouraged, a.k.a. were the cabin lights dimmed? Was it a little bit warm? Were the window blinds down and so on and so on? It actually wasn't. And I, I find that people choose to sleep anyway. I think I put it down to the fact of this. In economy class, you have very little other choice of what to do if you're not consuming the screen in front of you than to sleep. So people choose to sleep. The second point, I think, is that as a society, we could all deal with 
a little bit of extra sleep so people exercise that right by being in a position where they can't do anything else so they think i'll just sleep the third point i think is that some passengers in business class have uh, have understandably waited a while for that flight have either saved up for the ticket are impressed by the novelty of a life flat bed so want to enjoy the concept of sleeping in an actual bed on an aircraft regardless of the flight time so i think in order to better understand it dan you have to take off your frequent fly hat for a minute and think okay you know they're told and marketed in business class for example this is going to be a bed forget the fact that it's 9am and the sun has just risen this is going to be a bed so naturally you want to enjoy a nice comfortable sleep in but economy that makes it's no like sense if it's your first time why would you want to sleep the whole experience away that i, I would agree think the opposite you know i agree i agree fully i i think that it's a waste of of, of money if you're only going to sleep and you're not <laughs> yeah. going to at least enjoy some of it but i think there are a large portion of travelers that would actually be able to recognize that on a daytime flight in order to help your body clock adjust you should really be awake but but I, sometimes i don't blame them because the airlines encourage it i mean i flew in the summer on a daytime flight that departed at 8 30 in the morning from the middle east arrived to southern europe at 3 p.m local time daylight the whole way assuming that most passengers had had a normal night in bed prior or but well on that route most of them were leaving doha so most of the flights most of the passengers on that flight were all Doha based rather than transit. But the crew dimmed the cabin to full darkness. The electronic window shades were lowered on the A350. It was pitch black. It was a little bit warm. And so despite me being, for example, very well rested <laughs> and I had just slept nine hours in bed and I'm now having breakfast, my head starts going and I start uh, to feel a little bit sleepy and I'm like, whoa, 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 what is this? You know, we have received a ton of questions since we started the podcast that are all in the airplane etiquette category. So we have gathered them all up and this is actually related to one of them, window blind etiquette, because on a flight like that, I don't know about you, airplanes are my most efficient workplace. I mean, it's not even comparable to anywhere else. I'm like a machine on planes. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I'm the, I'm the same. Yeah, you can just type, type, type. So if I'm taking a daytime flight and that's a work day or work flight for me, I can't fall asleep. But sitting in the pitch dark, like you said, it's really hard not to. So in that situation, do you raise your own window blind even just a little bit? Do you turn all the lights on around your seat like the overhead light? I don't like to be in artificial lighting if there's natural daylight. I mean, I would not yeah. even, even for example, in a hotel room, I could not have the lights on if and, and the, the curtains or blinds shut. In that scenario, I think I would, in economy, raise it a little bit. In business, I would feel comfortable having it open if it was shielded by something like a sweet door. So I think it, it depends where you're sat. But I think that everyone is entitled to raise it a little bit, but maybe not flood the whole cabin with light because... It is true that on many routes, it is the second flight for the passengers and you and I both fly from really big hubs all the time and it's rare that we are based at those hubs, for example, rather than having passengers that are simply transiting through. This is such a divisive topic and question. I, I think that it's a bit of a balance where you need to look around. You need to see yeah. if there are not a single other window open. Okay, then maybe not. But I'm always the last person to lower it unless I'm going to sleep. If I notice everyone else has it lowered, I will lower it. 
but I won't be the one to lower it so that other people start lowering it. You know what I mean? Look, that's what a lot of people complain about the 787 Dreamliner with those dimmable windows. Oh they just God. hate the fact that on I so many it. airlines, airlines are now, you know, what? the 787 has been around for a while now, okay? And for most of our listeners, if you've flown long haul or mid haul, you probably will have been on a 787. The Dreamliner has those dimmable windows. So you start to darken it, you press a button, they're terrible, okay? They don't work properly. They let the sunlight in still, even on a daytime flight, depending on what direction you're flying. But the reason why it's extra bad is because now it's given at some airlines, the cabin crew, this control to say, you will sleep because we will darken the entire cabin automatically. That evil voice so is appropriate. So this is sinister. Is. Take us back to the days where my hand would raise and lower the window shade with perhaps small polite conversation with my seatmates as to what they would like to not have it so that I mean you have you have passengers who have paid a fortune for this ticket and perhaps they're flying over territory that they want to see for example the North Pole Greenland all these places that you know typically we don't get to very much and they want to be able to see these amazing views and the cabin lights are automatically locked on this dim dull navy blue setting it is the problem with flying on the 787 Dreamliner the Boeing received and now the A350 so can you believe that Airbus also introduced those windows dimmable windows I, and so that so this is this uh, issue is is growing it's spreading and Airbus are saying don't worry as are so much darker we have fully blacked out windows to which of course that's that's some elements they're going to think yeah exactly the complaint is that in air travel there is already so much we do not control for God's sake, let us control our window shade. Absolutely. You know what I do? In those situations where the crew lower them all the way down to the darkest setting and lock them, I, I don't accept it. On Earlier this year, I was flying Turkish Airlines. The flaps were still down when they locked all the windows on the darkest setting. We were 60 seconds off the ground. They immediately do it. There's a beautiful view of the skyline outside. I immediately ding the crew call bell. I go, excuse me, please unlock my window. I was enjoying looking outside. What was the response? He was like, yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> so he went, he okay. unlocked them and I put them on two settings up. So it wasn't beaming in light, but I could yeah. see outside. I had enough daylight. So in a way, that's the good part of the 787. It doesn't have to be all or nothing, but it's just, it's beyond frustrating that the crew are able to control it. That's up to each passenger. And in my opinion, it is ultimately each passenger's choice. The best, I think, the best window shade option that exists out there on aircraft are the blinds that are integrated with the electric blinds that are integrated yes. within the upper deck on many A380s, but also on some A350s coming back from Los Angeles last week to Doha and also actually okay, going last there. week you're stretching it a bit <laughs> yeah I'm in LA every week you know <laughs> Dan the return flight was last week it was a week ago mm, I mean, I don't, don't be shady so. about it <laughs> anyway God. on that flight the A350-1000 has those blinds oh my goodness they are so perfect and I thought this back when the A380s first had them because they have two settings you press lower 
the first blind comes down, bringing this kind of shaded tone where natural light is not coming in directly, but it's kind of a warm glow behind a non-blackout blind, if you like, whatever the word is for a non-blackout blind, blind. And then you lower sure. it again and the right and then you lower it again and the second blind comes down now delivering you full blackout that's great that's the best of both worlds i wish more aircraft yeah. had that many passengers get to enjoy that on a380s but only on the upper deck some airlines only put it into premium cabins i love that another question we got that is equally controversial in terms of your autonomy and your control versus other people is recline of course that we're mainly talking about premium economy and economy what is the etiquette there i would look back and <laughs> politely or rather let no firstly firstly hold on this is let, whoa, whoa, no, whoa, sorry i've just sir, realized whoa whoa whoa, 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 whoa hold on hold on hold on hold on this is really important. The first thing I would do is check that there is either no food or crucially no laptop open on the seat behind me. Oh That's gosh. what you have to be careful of because laptops get crushed when these seats suddenly reclined and it was open on the table behind you. So the first thing I would do is check that. Then in those scenarios, I say, I'm just going to recline my seat a little bit if that's okay. I don't think, I think only once I've been in a position where the guy said no. And I thought, well, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> but uh, but the, in the other, in the other scenarios, no, but in the other scenarios, I think they really appreciated that I asked. And it just gives them a minute to, you know, move the earphone, pick up the drink, something. I think it's just good etiquette to say, can I just, and I would always recline it so gently. To go back to that story about when the guy said no, I did it when he went to the bathroom. So. Oh, <laughs> when I was 14, I was, I remember flying from New York to Frankfurt, Lufthansa, this was an overnight flight, of course, as most transatlantic flights are. I usually don't ask, but I will look back if reclining for us to check that everything looks fine. There's nothing I can break or disturb. And then very slowly recline to see if there's if they protest, which, you know, usually they don't. But on this flight, an overnight flight after dinner, my brother and I both reclined our seats. And there was an, a German couple behind us that were fuming and i'm just like i mean i i, I could not fight back then or I, why am i saying fight like i was about to get in a fight but i was like oh so sorry sat up and then i was just like wait a minute the person in front of me is reclined everyone else is reclined you're I on a long haul flight here. right yeah, this is a long, long overnight yeah. flight with the seat yeah. that reclines so i can't just make him happy so it turned into this sort of war where i would recline every time he'd go to the bathroom or whatever it was he would start kneeing my seat from behind and oh, being no. so bad about it it was it was horrible that's, that's the nice. only time i that's really had nice. a call like an unpleasant situation like that but i think in general it's your seat you yeah. decide if it's reclined, just be nice and respectful about it. Okay, the third question that was a reoccurring question that we've received loads since the launch of the On Air podcast. Yeah. And I want a quick yes or no. And I will. we can say it at the same time. Okay, so I'll read the question, count to two, and then give me your answer. Okay, <laughs> are middle seaters, are middle seaters on flights entitled to both? armrests 
Yes. Wait, you were supposed to count. Oh, I was supposed to count in my head. You were okay, supposed to count in your head, for yes. God's sake. The answer is obviously yes. I was going to say yes as well. That's all we need to say about that. Next question. Next. Okay. Do you disembark only after the row in front of you? I mean... <laughs> yes. Yes. How, how are you even supposed to get past them? Like... Oh, 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 uh, uh, please, please. But the passengers on my flight from Rome to Munich will show you how. God, uh, oh, unbelievable. God. On, a, on a single R A321. And you've got a passenger in like row, row 26 and, and he's forcing his way through because apparently he had somewhere to be. Oh, because the rest of us were planning to spend our night on the A321. Unbelievable. But <laughs> yeah, no, it happens. Thing. You know when the crew says, ladies and gentlemen, we have some people with a very tight connection. Could you please all remain seated? They will get off first. Yeah. Yeah. I have never, besides COVID, seen that work. And people actually respect that, which just makes me lose faith in humanity. Like, don't you people feel their stress and anxiety? Where are you in such a hurry to if you don't have a tight connection? Yeah, it's true. And, and do you know what? If I'm flying point to point and I don't have a, a connection, I am the one, if anyone has seen me on a flight or if anyone does see me on a future flight coming, let's say on a single R, an A320, a short haul flight, I am not the one with the rest of the cabin standing in the R. What are you standing for once we have arrived? You know, like itching and w w pushing past and kind of shuffling forward a little bit. We will disembark row by row. I literally remain seated until the people in front of me start to move and then I start to get up. The moment that I'm up, I'll get the bag out of the locker and I'll exit. This is how I believe it should be. I don't understand this thing about we arrive at the gate, bam, everybody stands up. And there's, it has gone viral now, hasn't it, on Instagram and TikTok. But it's that there's this sound yeah, and it's sound. a woman in America and she's saying like, where are you going? What are you doing? What? Sit your ass down and so on and yeah. so on. That you know, was a because last year or 2021, but sure. It was, it's, it's but it's now. absolutely relevant because until today yeah. i'm looking at them thinking i don't know why you guys are standing there and also yeah. i can see that jet bridge it hasn't even started moving you're going to be there for 15 minutes so and then they just exactly. awkwardly stare down at anyone that's still sitting and you know <laughs> yes. and doing it the the actual way and it's like i don't want to why are you yeah it's it i don't know it's bizarre but yeah the obvious answer to that one also thankfully it's obvious to both of us is yes okay Another Wait, question. We have to talk about gate lice, quote unquote gate lice, while we're talking about gate this. Gate lice. Goodness. What are gate lice? Gate lice are the are the airport equivalent of lobby lizards. So lobby lizards are lobby the ones that do it lizards. in the hotel. Some hotels are crawling with lobby lizards, and it's basically those that just <laughs> they need to call just, pest control. Literally, they just hover in the lobby. What are they doing? Nobody's quite sure. Right? Are they in are they in house guests? We're not sure. Are they here because they're part of some kind of entourage? Not sure. Are they using the free Wi-Fi or trying to find where they're... Like those where girls. It, do, 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 do. <laughs> exactly. And it's all a little bit idea. White Lotus. Yeah, it's all a bit White Lotus. So gate lice are the ones where boarding is going to be at three. It's on your boarding pass. It's at three. There's no delay. The screen above you at the gate says boarding commences at three. And this happens so much in Germany. And you have... <laughs> you said you were going to be nice today. <laughs> no, no, I'm being realistic as well. I'm being realistic. The, yeah. the Germans will agree with me, okay? And at like 2.40 p.m., you have every person who's, I am Star Alliance gold. I am Star Alliance silver. I am Star Alliance whatever is below silver. I don't think it is bronze. Is it bronze? <laughs> 
No, there's keep nothing. Keep on, on star. There's no, no there's nothing. There's I am Starlines, nothing. Okay. And <laughs> they, they're all scattered around the gate. There's plenty of empty seats, plenty of time to behave like normal human beings and take a seat and relax and so on. But they're ready, vying for position. At the same time, I'm sympathetic with the fact that a lot of people are forced to do that because they need to get on the aircraft to ensure their hand luggage is accepted onto the aircraft, <laughs> which we have spoken yeah. about in a previous episode, which is an ongoing saga. So on one side, I totally get it. On the other side, I hate it. On long haul flights where everyone's bags fit, I don't understand it. And it doesn't make you so stressed and anxious seeing the line build, especially, you know, if I'm flying economy and I see this line building, I can be sitting down and I'm fine, but it's like an emergent property or it's like a snowball effect. One person, then two people, then suddenly people start yeah. getting anxious. So everyone has to get in line and it's just a lose-lose. And it's all those so. small things, you know, people start glancing at their, at their watch, even though we're still yes. on time. They start looking at their watch and they start looking at the screen and, and everyone, everyone is holding on. I mean, if you want to be a successful gate louse i think is the singular uh, singular form of that i think it is louse louse lice louse okay we're not bringing louse, the country into this a wonderful place to visit by the way it's louse i just googled it it's louse the words louse really? okay yeah yeah it's louse speaking of louse have you heard what's happened in paris god Anyway, there's bed bugs everywhere. Oh, oh yes. Actually, I just have to say very quickly, my I was going to book my brother and his girlfriend to fly back to the US on yeah. Air France. His girlfriend was like, you think I'm flying through France and bringing bed bugs to my new New York apartment? Uh, I was like, whoa. <laughs> so that shows wow. even some early 20-year-old people, this has reached them to the point where they don't want to fly Air France. Just, Are you just joking? Are you joking? It no, didn't no, reach them. They, they, They... No, I know you're not joking. I'm saying, of course, it reads them. <laughs> They're the ones that knew first. Okay. When it reaches the ones who are not as digitally savvy is when we have oh. what's known as cut through. Basically, where it cut through even to <laughs> their homes, even to their conversation and so on. But I think that has that has already cut through. But to quickly finish that point, if you want to be a successful gate louse and you want to know exactly when boarding is, it usually commences after the phone call. So if you're facing the gate and the gate agent's phone rings and they're like, hello, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, that usually means board- you are now cleared to commence boarding. When that phone rings is usually when I then go to then stand up, start walking, and they say, we're now commencing boarding, Whew, straight on. Yeah. Okay, I think we, we have one more etiquette question, right? Yeah, so this one came up twice. And this, I think the answer to this depends on what cabin you are, but it says, can shoes come off during a flight? And then the person says, he says, Jacob, he says that his sister, when she travels, she thinks it's the most revolting thing ever and that shoes should be kept on at all times and also in the name of safety. Whereas he thinks that it's impossible to be relaxed on a long haul flight specifically Mm. if you're still wearing footwear. What's your quick take on on that? (laughs) So barefoot, big no-no. But you can take your shoes off and change into the airline-provided socks. Many provide slippers in premium cabins. Or you can bring your own slippers. That's perfectly fine. I sit in my my normal socks in my seat. But I would never go to the bathroom in just my socks. I would put my shoes on. But of course, take your shoes off as long as your feet don't stink. And you're not barefoot, is my view. Okay, okay. The OCD in me is finding this conversation very uncomfortable, especially when you spoke about passengers going to the bathroom and they don't put on footwear. I see that and I want to cry on their behalf. But anyway, there is one more question. I know we said that was the final one. 
There is one more question that I wanted to ask. Okay. Mile high. When, no, that's for another episode. That's, oh, goodness. When you have an allocated seat, you've probably paid to have it there. You've selected it via your status. You're mentally ready for where you're going to be sitting. And somebody comes and says, excuse me, will you switch? What's your answer? You go on your phone, you open your music app, and you play Ariana Grande, Thank You, Next. And I think with that, we'll conclude episode six of On Air. Thank you so much for being <laughs> part of the episode. As usual, we love it when you show us and have been sending us that you are liking, following, subscribing to the podcast. And we are receiving between last week and this week, tons of those screenshots. They are all being logged into that same central file. And next week's episode is when we'll be making that first move, right, Dan? on winners yes next week we will announce our first giveaway winners we are so excited for next week we hope you'll come along can answer more questions hot topics as always we look forward to seeing you then i'm dan oh no i'm not i'm alex goodness i'm alex <laughs> he's dan this was the on air podcast we will see you next week see you later see ya bye <laughs> <laughs> I love that.